Welcome to the ACOFP Advocacy Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Hi there, my name is Mike Park and I'm a partner in the law firm of Alston and Bird here in Washington, D.C. And I also serve as ACOFP's Director of Government Relations. I'm joined today by several colleagues from the firm. First, Congressman Earl Pomeroy, who serves as senior counsel at Austin and Byrd. Before joining us, uh, the Congressman represented the state of North Dakota in the U.S. House of Representatives for nine terms and served on the House Ways and Means Committee's Subcommittee on Health. And before that, uh, Congressman Pomeroy served as insurance commissioner for the state of North Dakota and president of the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. Uh, also joining me today is Mark Rader, who's a senior policy advisor with Austin and Byrd. Uh, before joining the firm, he was a senior advisor to various members of the U.S. House of Representatives. Among Mark's many accolades includes uh, being enlisted in the Hill newspaper's list of top lobbyists in Washington, D.C. every year. So thank you both for joining me. Uh, as of the recording of this podcast, we are less than 30 days away from the presidential elections, so we thought it'd be helpful to talk about the upcoming election and its possible impact on health care, and more specifically, what the impact may be on family medicine. So uh, just going over the format of this discussion, I'm going to throw out a question, and then Congressman, uh, we'll let you give the Democratic perspective, and then we'll go to Mark for the Republican perspective. And with that, uh, why don't we get started? Um, my first question we're going to talk about the role of healthcare and what it may play in the 2020 presidential election. So a recent uh, Kaiser Family Foundation poll back in September shows healthcare being a top presidential election issue for 10% of voters polled compared to 30% for the economy, 20% for the coronavirus outbreak, 16% for criminal justice and policing and 14% for race relations. So, um, uh, co compare this back in earlier this year in February when healthcare was a top issue for 26% of voters. So we went from 26% to uh, 10%. In light of that, uh, Congressman, how do you see healthcare playing a role in the 2020 elections? You know, my <clears throat> healthcare plays a big role in every election. I uh, I salute you for the work you do uh, on behalf of ACOFP because clearly with uh, major portions of healthcare reimbursement, physician reimbursement coming from the federal government, uh, what's going on in Congress and, and then what is happening in the elections are always going to be a very important component of physician practice nowadays. And so uh, your question's a very apt one. Uh, I don't think there's any getting around it. This is a, uh, uh, this is a, a, an election where COVID is front and center. I think that was the case even before the president himself was diagnosed with COVID and developed a White House uh, hotspot of all the things. Uh, but the, uh, uh, it, it is a significant issue. And, and, and so that is a little off target from healthcare generally, uh, but it's, it, it, it's, it's all in the bucket of healthcare issues. I think that people are much more focused then on the immediate uh, exposure potentially to the virus than, for example, the uh, uh, you know the structural reforms of the health system. Clearly, that was an issue much more prominent in the, in the Democratic primary 
although the more those candidates favoring the more dramatic revisions ultimately were not successful. We have uh, Joe Biden emerging, taking more or less a, a, a conventional democratic approach, certainly uh, the anticipating a significant role in the federal government in health care, uh, con- very committed to the outlines of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and I think there'll be some considerable concern relative to health insurances about some of the initiatives of the last few years that are allowing, I call them skinny coverages, the less comprehensive coverages in the marketplace. Democrats would be much more inclined to uh, subsidize uh, uh, more comprehensive coverages than go with non-subsidized but but, but skinny coverages. So all in all, I think the issues before the voters in, in, in a way that's we've not seen before. This time they're thinking about health care and they're thinking about health care in the context of this virus. Thanks, Congressman. Mark, let me, let me turn to you for the Republican perspective. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. And thank you. Uh, thanks, Earl. Um, you know, it's uh, sort of only fitting uh, that, uh, that we're talking about the presidential election. And of course, because of COVID, we're not in our offices, but we're in our home offices. And I'm here in uh, historic Mount Vernon, home of our uh, our nation's first president, George Washington. So uh, this uh, again seems very fitting to have this discussion about uh, um, the election between uh, Donald Trump and uh, and Joe Biden. Uh, and one of the other things that's that's sort of uh, interesting that you mentioned is you know in terms of the electorate's view of health care. And so back in February, as as you uh, as you mentioned, Mike, um, you know, 26 percent of the people you know, included that as one of their, uh, as the, one of their top uh, or the top uh, issue uh, for this, for this presidential election. And that was something that, uh, that Democrats ran on in 2018 to when they uh, took back the House um, and uh, in a strong way. And it was, again, on the backs of that. And so I think the playbook originally was on that. And, and to what, to what Earl said, uh, you know, obviously COVID has, has had a, a an incredible impact on um, on everything and sort of so when when we look at that at that uh, Kaiser poll and it shows the economy and it shows healthcare and you know and and then COVID sort of in between those two and you know really COVID um, or healthcare in that sense has really encompassed all of that because it has had such a big impact on the economy on people's individual care as opposed to uh, you know what Earl was talking about as well. Yeah, and, and it's, so this isn't going to be really about structural reform of healthcare or, um, or, um, uh, or coverage or drug pricing or um, or surprise billing. Those are all elements of things that people are still concerned about. But something that COVID has done is certainly crystallized um, uh, individuals and families' um, view of how important healthcare in and of itself is in terms of the providers, both uh, you know both in terms of physicians and other clinicians, hospitals, uh, and, and sort of the care that they are getting, as well as the innovators, those who are making the, the drugs, the medical devices, and other things that, uh, that go into what care is. And so um, there's really been a lot more education going on now in terms of what it is that, uh, uh, that care delivery truly is and, and why, uh, you know, what, what's sort of on the docket here for how we're going to uh, perhaps change some of those things or how policies will impact those things. Because people, I think, have a firmer grasp now of, of, of what it takes to bring 
medicine to market, devices to market, uh, of how important certain types of hospitals are and the people on the front lines and the back room of the, of the hospitals and other providers. So, um, and, and what sort of, um, what sort of danger, uh, you know, that uh, even before COVID and after COVID, uh, you know, uh, providers put themselves in every day uh, and, and, and treating people with, uh, with, uh, with, with, uh, with different types of diseases. And so uh, it's, it's just a completely much more intimate um, view instead of a theoretical view of healthcare and what the electorate is, is approaching this year. Thanks to you both. You know, in light of this, this perspective, these perspectives you both gave, I'd like to drill down a little deeper or, or, or narrow the focus and, and uh, talk about, you know, what, what's the impact of each, uh, what, uh, compare the impact of a Trump administration versus a Biden administration when it comes to health care. Uh, Earl, since, or, or Congressman, since you, you alluded a little bit to what a Biden administration might do uh, in your previous response uh, when it comes to health care coverage, why don't I go to you first and see if, if you had any, any other, uh, anything else you'd like to uh, talk about in terms of what, what do you think a uh, Biden administration's impact on health care would be? Well, as we're nearing the end of this election season, one that's been going on for such a long time, it's kind of useful to look back. Um, Bernie Sanders, you know, love him, hate him, whatever, uh, he put some things out there. He put them out there in the 16 election. He put them out there in the 2020 election. And he uh, engendered a debate uh, that was one that, quite frankly, was more quickly uh, uh, engaged uh, the electorate in a discussion of single-payer medicine than, than I expected to see. Uh, you know, will there be single-payer medicine sometime, someday? I don't know. I was, 30 years ago, a state insurance commissioner. Uh, and I've watched this system move and change uh, over many years. Um, whether or not uh, that is an idea that may present itself, most, most of Democratic primary voters decided that's not an idea that, whose time has come yet. However... I think it's fair to say, and I expect that each listener has seen this as well, the ground seemed to move a little for Democrats. The, what, what used to be a pretty aggressive position on health reform is now almost a, moder a moderate or even conservative position on health reform. And the more aggressive ones would scrap insurance companies and have a one-payer federal government relationship with all providers, again, that one didn't carry the day, but I do think it moved the discussion. So what does the Biden administration look like? Well, the elements I said earlier, uh, you know, uh, looking at the Affordable Care Act and what is needed to make that work better and serve more people. Um, and, uh, the easy part is, well, they're going to promote it more effectively than the the promotion cuts that occurred uh, under the administration. But I also think that anticipates more subsidies for people so more people can afford the coverage written uh, under Obamacare. Uh, you know, one of the ideas talked about, and you certainly might uh, see this come under a different dimension of discussion, is moving the age of Medicare. 
down to 60. Some say 55. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think this idea is still pretty pretty in, much in its infancy in terms of really evaluating what happens to our healthcare system when suddenly you have millions of additional individuals uh, receiving their health care on the medical on the Medicare reimbursement rates compared to private payment. Um, but I do expect that we won't see single payer under Biden administration, but you very well may have some discussion about an expanded universe of Americans coming in under Medicare payment. And we know that also will have uh, substantial consequences. Thanks, Congressman. Why don't we turn to you, Mark, on, on what you think a second uh, Trump Trump uh, term would, would mean for health care? Thanks, Mike and, and Earl. Um, I, you know, obviously for, for this, it, uh, you know, there's a, there's a four-year track record now. Um, there's also, of course, the, you know, one of the big question marks would be is if, if President Trump were reelected, uh, would, the, would the Senate remain uh, Republican? Uh, we would probably assume either way that, that, the, that the House would remain Democratic. That would be uh, quite a flip for Republicans to be able to do that. But uh, you know that would obviously, uh, if if the Republicans lose the Senate, uh, that would uh, that would you know that would limit severely uh, what the president could do legislatively, uh, and would would continue um, sort of the administration's um, uh, efforts on the administrative front, uh, both at HHS and CMS and other agencies to do things. But you know, I think the the approach would continue to be one of deregulation. Um, uh, obviously, you know, uh, on the sort of the, the coverage side of things and, and structure of, of health insurance and things like that, like uh, like Earl was talking about, you know, the you know uh, the administration and uh, the then Republican Congress, uh, both House and Senate, tried to repeal and replace um, uh, the Affordable Care Act and uh, fell one vote short in the in the Senate. It was, uh, Senator John McCain sort of viewed as that final vote, which uh, they were expecting to vote. For repeal and replace, and 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 went the other way, and so that was sort of put on the shelf for a while. Um, you know, something that's coming up here is is the of course the the suit uh, that's uh, between uh, before the Supreme Court uh, this uh, this fall um, uh, that's been brought by a number of state attorneys generals and such, and uh, and is being supported by by this administration, and so um, you know that could be again on the docket again, and that would sort of force in some way, shape, or form. If, if, if it were to be um, overturned in part or in, or in total, um, uh, a sort of revamping of, uh, of, of the federal role there. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the, the president has already said and others in the administration have already said, and I think Republicans on, in the House and Senate both know and would, would try to do something where uh, pre-existing conditions are covered. I think that's something that uh, everybody learned from the uh, from the Affordable Care Act. That's something that Americans want, regardless of whether it's part of the Affordable Care Act or some other um, some other uh, mechanism, federal mechanism. Uh, but uh, some of the typical things that uh, um, you know, that of course, the president's also very interested in has has been drug pricing. That sort of was on his list uh, back in 2016. It's been one of the few things that he has not been able to firmly check off uh, as, as having been done many things on his on his uh, on his uh, uh, on his list of uh, campaign promises have been checked off that one has has sort of eluded him uh, a little bit even though he's nibbled around the edges so I would expect that to continue 
Um, and of course, trying to do that and sort of the trick is uh, with this administration trying to do that without um, killing innovation. Um, but uh, also one thing they've, they've concentrated on, I think would continue to do so would be um, uh, reducing uh, physician burden and using the, the office of the secretary uh, at HHS. And again, they can do this sort of on their own where they try to find ways to reduce uh, the amount of regulation and red tape, et cetera, uh, that, uh, that, that physicians have to uh, encounter, particularly those that are in um, uh, solo and small practices um, or one, you know, practices that are not uh, affiliated with uh, large health systems um, um, or insurers. Um, and so I think they'll continue with that. I think they will also continue with transparency. Um, transparency mostly in trying to, um, you know, transparency for the patient, for the, the beneficiary. Uh, and that's both transparency in terms of the cost of healthcare, both on the front end and of course afterwards, but certainly on the front end. So there's a more of an ability for, for uh, consumers to compare uh, to the extent that they can or that it's possible to do so. But also in terms of um, uh, clinical data, um, you know, who's, who's, you know, who owns that clinical data and, you know, to what extent should it be shared with patients um, and, uh, and how much data and especially with wearables and other things like that, 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 that are coming online, it's a lot of data. And so who controls that data and, and, and how, how can it be relayed to patients in a way that is, uh, that is helpful to them instead of something that is either going to confuse them, worry them, um, or, or just be, uh, be too much information and not be acted upon. So I think those are the couple of the areas, uh, certainly on telehealth, uh, which has taken a big uh, you know, center stage during the, the public health emergency. Uh, that is something that I think both, whether it's a, a Trump administration or a Biden administration, will continue to move forward um, uh, fairly rapidly uh, as, as it's viewed as largely as a, as a, as, as a good success here uh, during the, uh, the COVID emergency. But one final thing, I think that, uh, uh, I think that you know, certainly um, probably both parties are interested in. Um, uh, I think Republicans are, uh, you know, certainly President Trump would say that he's even more so would be on the medical supply chain and the recognition that uh, that something needs to be done to ensure that there's greater con American control of that supply chain uh, so that it's either uh, these uh, drugs, devices, and supplies, et cetera, are, are made in America or by um, uh, sort of an ally, a close ally, uh, even uh, you know, uh, a friendly nation like India uh, had uh, had sort of uh, uh, sort of closed the spigot on the uh, uh, on the um, exporting of uh, drugs and API uh, uh, for for many drugs, and so that was obviously of concern. So I think there's going to be a bipartisan look at that, but uh, I think uh, that even fits a little bit more into the bailiwick of uh, um, uh, on the Republican side. Thanks, Mark. Um, let, let's go to our final question and, and drill it down um, or, or narrow it even more and just talk about, you know, what, what, what could be the impact of the election and, and, the, uh, and the administration in charge on, on family medicine? What, what, what should I, assuming I'm a family medicine physician, what, what, what should I look out for? Uh, well, and, I'll and, go first uh, again. I guess we've got that pattern, uh, unless uh, unless Mark wants to take it first. Mark, you want to go first? Sure, I'll, I'll take this one first. Uh, thanks, Earl. Um, see, there's still there's still civility and bipartisanship. I like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, first of all, I think that um, 
you know, one of the one of the great things for for family medicine, in particular, for obviously for um, um, uh, you know for DOs, is that I think for the first time ever, um, both the uh, attending physicians, personal physicians for both the for both candidates in this case, the, you know, President Trump and also uh, former Vice President Biden are DOs, and uh, that is. Um, uh, that is momentous, uh, and I think that, is, that speaks volumes about uh, the work that uh, ACUFP and, and other organizations um, uh, are um, uh, have been doing over the years. And uh, and 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 I think it's a, a great moment. Uh, and so I think uh, that's that's one of the first things that we'll see. That regardless of who wins, that will um, that that will be a milestone. Um, the other is that you know. In terms of you know the impact on family medicine, you know my my uncle Mike uh, Doyle was a family physician for in New Jersey for more than 55 years, um, and he's sort of one of those one of those uh, family docs that uh, you know practiced you know basically until the end died with his boots on so to speak, um, and you know so I guess one of the questions is is that how many family docs um, will want to continue you know continue to do that to practice for 40 or 50 years or so. Um, and and to you know teach the next generation of, of family physicians uh, and to treat multiple generations of families uh, and you know you know so which one of these sort of um, ideas of of medicine uh, and of of healthcare system structure um, is going to allow for that uh, and it's obviously something that you know each each you know, physician and organization is going to have to decide on their own um, but uh, you know that is uh, you know. It, obviously, things are not the way that they used to be, and so um, you know it's it's going to be an interesting um, interesting to find out which one will which one will allow for that. But uh, as 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 Earl mentioned before, some of the things that have a great impact on that are you know how does how does family medicine fit within a Medicare for all or a Medicare buy-in or a public option or single payer? Um, so uh, that's those are the those are the larger questions. Some of the some of the other questions are are you know. Will you know? Will uh, will things like what what CMS has done uh, this past year um, and trying to boost uh, pay for um, for uh, sort of I guess you call it uh, primary care physicians uh, on evaluation and management codes uh, to give uh, a really sizable? Everybody's been talking about doing this for a long time, but you know finally uh, paying for physicians to think to in interact with their with their patients uh, it's been under under undervalued and underpaid for so long uh, that uh, there's finally a shift there uh, and so uh, I, I you know I would expect that that you know that shift has already happened under a Republican administration I wouldn't see that it's changing under a Democratic administration they've certainly always uh, been you know very uh, supportive of, of, uh, of family practice and um, and primary care physicians in general. So that's, you know, that's one of the big uh, things is, is that movement going to continue? What is the natural progression of that? Um, and, uh, you know, is there, will there be pushback from other specialty organizations? Um, because obviously in, in Medicare, there is a fixed pot for, for physician services. And so when, uh, you know, when, when you increase uh, in one area, it's sort of like whack-a-moles, you know, uh, it, uh, you know, you have to cut in another area. And, uh, and so unless they're going to change that, that's going to continue. Now, of course, if you have a Medicare for all or a Medicare expansion, uh, things like that, and you continue to have more and more people, uh, um, you know, more and more uh, patients under, that, uh, under that, uh, that payment system, that means you have more and more patients 
uh, or you have more and more uh, of your dollars um, in a fixed pot. And, uh, and it's very difficult to operate in, 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 a, uh, in a system like that. And uh, you know, you're basically having, forcing the government to sort of choose between their children. And, uh, and again, you continue this game of whack-a-mole and it, uh, it gets pretty tough. So I think that's one of the, that's one of the biggest uh, uh, impacts I think that, that we'll see regardless of, of whether uh, who wins. Thanks, Bob. Why don't we go to you next, Congressman? Yeah, yeah, Mark, that was a very thorough and interesting answer. The uh, what I see is a shortage in family practice docs. I think this is understood on both sides of the aisle. Unfortunately, the what to do about it is uh, is elusive. Uh, so, to the extent you have uh, a, a, a an issue relative to having adequate numbers of family physicians, uh, you're going to have particular stress falling on communities like I used to represent in North Dakota. The smaller rural areas are going to be particularly impacted. I also think individual clinic practice is uh, is impacted in favor of more of a, a, a health system approach that uh, lifts off the physician many of the responsibilities of running a practice. Unfortunately, you also give up autonomy in the bargain as well. So uh, I just see that trend as one that's very much with us and uh, nobody likes it. And yet again, the solutions are elusive. Uh, I do think that there is bipartisan agreement uh, of all things. You know, parties don't agree on much these days and their disagreements on healthcare as high profile as anything. But I believe that both parties think We've got a problem. We have put too much financial incentive to come up to go into specialty medicine, not enough to go into family practice. And so we're ending up with a top heavy system, uh, more specialists and fewer family practice. How do you reverse that? Well, Congress voted. Uh, I was no longer a member of the Congress, but I voted with the MACRA legislation. Now, that has had implementation issues. Uh, probably each of you bloody annoyed at that piece of legislation. Uh, others say it you know, was, didn't do much. I suppose you could say on the net it hasn't done much yet. But it was a, a strong bipartisan statement on substantive health policy that we, we want to we build out and strengthen uh, primary care medicine in the, in the role of the U.S. healthcare system. Uh, I don't. I don't think there has been anything quite as concrete proposed in this way than the uh, physician fee schedule rule, which is pending. As Mark mentioned, the EM, the EM code revision, the evaluation management code revisions. Uh, it's difficult. We're seeing play out right in front of us right now. Uh, why this is so hard to turn around on a on a conceptual level, you've got people saying, we've got to pay the primary care medicine more. Uh, but if it's a zero-sum game, and that means, okay, and we're going to take it, by the way, from these well-established, very powerful specialty physician organizations, man, you bring the wrath of God down upon you. And so there has been an awful lot of lobbying activity uh, to reverse this proposed rule. 
uh, it will, uh, whether or not uh, that lobbying effort is successful, it'll, it'll move right into the legislative arena thereafter. And so again, to the extent you're doing this on a zero sum game, uh, trying to move change is difficult. And I'd say it's the uphill climb versus taking, versus, uh, you know, those who are already benefiting under the structure of the existing system, defending their turf. So it seems like they've had greater success at that than, than changing this dynamic for uh, and reversing the flow of revenues to a greater degree to the primary care physician. These fights are going to continue. Uh, I think it's healthy, especially looking at the, the world from OCOFP's perspective, that we've got this kind of conceptual commitment across the party lines that we've got to do more on the front line of medicine, primary care medicine. Uh, and I think that it really falls upon associations like this one and individual members establishing relationships out in the country with, the, with, with, their, with their individual legislators uh, to, to thoughtfully figure out how we actually make more progress. We had the macro legislation, didn't, macro legislation didn't accomplish much. Now you've got this rule, which is a very tangible step in this direction, but being fought tooth and nail. What ways exist to move this forward and and uh, and achieve the result? Everybody, that those of us that are standing up for family medicine, want to achieve. Mike, that's yeah. uh, that's my answer. Yeah, and you know, if, if Mike, if I can just spend like a you know sort of thirty seconds, uh, you know, just uh, adding on to uh, Earl's very good uh, analysis there and uh, and thoughts is that you know one of the things, of course, that I think the uh, the the uh, um, specialists are trying to do right now. Is to uh, is to you know uh, tackle the budget neutral um, uh, component of this, which is to say they should that CMS uh, and or Congress uh, should lift that budget neutrality for for Part B services, physician services, um, so that there's not this uh, food fight, as it were, between primary care um, uh, and you know those who who do a lot of E and M codes uh, and and those who are doing a lot of procedures. Uh, so there's not that. But uh, ultimately, uh, that's going to be a very difficult fight, of course. And I think that you know, both both under the Obama administration and under the Trump administration, there's been a lot of. Uh, you mentioned MACRA, um, obviously Earl, but and then also at uh, CMMI, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Innovation. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of attention to try to come up with payment models for different types of patients. Obviously, chronic disease patients type 2 diabetes, hypertension, things like that, uh, cardiovascular, other cardiovascular diseases and pulmonary diseases, um, to try to get a better way, um, uh, you know, to sort of skin this cat and, uh, and, 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 and find a way to, to pay uh, providers, um, whether they be in primary, more focused on primary care or uh, specialties, um, pay them for, for these patients in a way that uh, that's, that's, uh, that's more controllable in terms of uh, and, and paying for value is what they're trying to get at. You know, it's a tough nut to crack. Uh, I think that that's going to continue though, no matter what, uh, and no matter who is, uh, who's in the White House. And so that's going to be something that we're, you know, all specialties, um, whether uh, focusing more on you know, family practice and primary care or on the procedural side uh, are going to have to uh, continue to, to, uh, to uh, you know, stay sharp and play in that game uh, and and take a look at ways that they can find uh, to um, uh, you know to help 
control costs and provide value for, for payers, whether that is uh, on the government side or the commercial side. Great. Well, I think we're out of time, unfortunately, but uh, thank you, Congressman Pomeroy. Thank you, Mark. Uh, we, we look forward to seeing the outcomes of the election and, and seeing how uh, your predictions stack up to what actually happens. And uh, to the audience, uh, thank you for listening. As always, if you have questions or need more information on the topic of this podcast or any other healthcare policy issue impacting your practice, you know, please send an email to advocacy at acofp.org. That's advocacy at acofp.org, and we will look into your question and get back to you. So with that, thank you very much. The ACOP Advocacy Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org.